I just wanted to share this because, uh, you know, it's been a, a pretty uh, interesting week for, uh, I think, most of us, uh, you could say. But I'll share this because the Lord had uh, <clears throat> revealed this to me prior to myself uh, getting uh, getting sick, uh, getting ill, coming down with COVID. And, uh, you know, the Lord had showed me if he was to lay me on my back for 30 days and I was unable to get up, would I still honor him? Would I still serve him? And obviously I haven't been on my back for 30 days, but the whole premise is God is good no matter what. And a lot of times we, we, we love to sing of how, uh, you know, we get so many good liberating things from the Lord, but we have to also understand that we've been saved and sanctified by God also to suffer. Now, I'm not talking about suffering from our own doing because of sin and because of a heart that's wayward towards God. What I'm speaking of is suffering for the sake of Christ. There are things that happen in our lives that we can't explain, and sometimes we are going to be called to suffer. Now, I know that the coronavirus is nothing compared to suffering going on in other places in the world and other other real things, real persecutions that are happening. But I will share this in my experience this week. I can say without wavering, there's never been a moment this week where I even had an inkling of a thought of not giving God the honor, the praise and the glory. And I just attest that to the Lord and him maturing me. And God's good all the time. Amen. God is good whether you're going through difficult circumstances or life. You're in the valley or you're on the mountaintop. We should never we should never look at God as, okay, well, God's not being good because I'm going through this. No, God is good all the time. There's, there's, there's never an instance where he's not righteous and he's not sovereign and he's not holy and he's not just. And so our perspective needs to be not necessarily thanking him for the circumstances we're in, but thanking him that he is walking us through every trial that we go through in life. Amen. And, and that's that's where I know that I've been this week. And I'm grateful that the Lord has minimized uh, the effects of this uh, covid virus in my body and also uh, in, in my family at home as you know, my wife and one of my children have been sick with this as well. And praise the Lord that he kept one of my children from even being uh, exposed to this and even being sick. But with that, uh, all praise, honor goes to the Lord. And I'm just thankful that he is continuing to do the work that only he can do in our lives. Uh, this morning, we'll be in Revelation chapter 16. Uh, we're starting, uh, I'm not too sure if this is going to be a two or a three part series. We're probably going to break this up into a several chunks, but, uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 16. We're going to be going through verses one through nine this morning. Uh, this message is entitled the seven bowls of God's wrath part one. So once again, Revelation chapter 16 verses one through nine, uh, here in the building, if you're able body to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. And uh, we'll go ahead and read uh, the scriptures this morning, and then we'll pray and get into our message. So it says, starting in verse 1, <clears throat> Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, 
and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Verse 7. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. Verse 9. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do repent, Lord, of any wrongdoing that we have caused in, in whether it's this morning or yesterday or times past, Lord, we want to be right before you. We want to have a mindset that's bent towards you. And we do praise you. We do give you honor and glory for you're the only one who can receive that, who is worthy to receive it. As your commandments say, thou shalt have no God before us other than you. Lord, may that be true in our lives today, that we wouldn't put anything before you, that there would be nothing sitting on the throne of our hearts other than your son, Jesus Christ. The things that are competing for our attention, may you give us discernment and give us the ability and the will to say no to those other things and say yes to you. Father, we want to have you exalted in our lives. So please, would you, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, help us to rightfully divide your word this morning. May you bring to light your truth. May we see how this applies to our lives this morning. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Uh, last week, we were introduced to the seven bowls of God's wrath. We learned that there is a finality to God's righteous judgments. There's an end, uh, there's an end goal uh, and an end purpose, and it will come to pass. And the end goal, obviously, is to cause people to be convicted to repent of their sins so that while there is time, their souls may be saved. Uh, in the event that people do not repent, they are going to receive the righteous judgments of God, and these righteous judgments are wrapped up in these seven bowls. We learn that all the saints who defeat the beast will have a new song in their hearts that they will sing to the Lord. Lastly, we saw that no one will be able to enter the sanctuary in heaven in heaven until all these seven bowls of wrath are poured out. That's what we learned last week that kind of sets the tones to where we're at this morning. Uh, today we will begin to take a closer look at the first four bowls of judgment. Now remember we talked about this last week. The bowls are not a deep dish, uh, you know, like we are used to seeing in our culture of like a bowl. It's not like a deep soup bowl. It was more like a saucer. 
and the shallowness of the bowl is a representation of <clears throat> this wrath being poured out swiftly and quickly. So when these things do occur in the future, it's going to be suddenly and it's going to have an immediate impact upon those who are dwelling upon the earth at that time. Uh, we have several main points this morning. And the first one is this. <clears throat> in the final judgments of God, all people, all of humanity, we will all get what we deserve. We see that the second and third angels in our text this morning, they, they pour out their bowls into the sea and the rivers and the fresh springs. This is what they're doing. The water becomes like blood and everything that lived in the water dies. You see, because these rebellious, unbelieving people continually over time spilled the blood of the saints and the prophets, now they're having their own fill of blood to drink. I bring that up because once again, we see this principle that we can't evade in this life of sowing and reaping. We're seeing this principle being played out as those angels poured out the, 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 the wrath of God upon the waters of the world. You see, we can't live a lifestyle of continuous rebellion against Jesus Christ and expect heaven and peace at the end of our days. That's just not how life works. That's not how uh, the spiritual applications uh, are applied to our lives. If we live continuously rebellious against Jesus Christ, we will have to face his wrath. Romans chapter 2 verse 6 tells us clearly, he, speaking of God, will render to each one according to his works. You see, a lot of times we don't have to we don't have to second guess what scripture is saying. He makes it crystal clear in that verse right there. Whatever we do, it's going to be rendered to us according to our works, according to what we do, according to how we spend our time on this earth, whether for good or for evil, these things will be rendered to us according to what we do. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 14 down through uh, about 26. I'm not sure if I'll read that far, but you'll get the understanding as I start to read. It says, The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. So we see right there two distinctions, okay? A backslider and a good man. Now, verse 15 says, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil, uh, evil deceives is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil bow down before the good, the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. So we see right here in these several verses, again, there's, there's the contrast. There's a contrast between those who are sowing to uh, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and those who are sowing to the flesh. This is what we see going on in our text this morning. And we're seeing retribution having to be paid by those who refuse to repent. So this is the first main point. The fact that there is no way around that God's judgments are just and we will all get what we deserve in the end. I actually 
ties into the second main point, which is this. True and just is every, every judgment of God. You see, the Bible tells us that God is just. That means that he is fair and impartial. He's not going to play favorites. He has no favorites. He's going to judge fairly for every situation, for every individual, no matter what happens. It also means that he hates the ill treatment and the oppression of people and nature, anything that he has created. He doesn't like it when we abuse what he has put on this earth for us to enjoy and uh, for us to have stewardship over. You know, we talk about, uh, you know, we, we, the, the nature and the animals and the environment. Yes, we are not to be tied up into the environment to where we fall down and worship the stars and the moon. But we are to steward this earth in a way that would be ideal, that would honor the Lord. And when we abuse his creation, he does not like that. And most of all, when we abuse people, those that are created in his moral image, it is not a good thing. You see, God hates lying, cheating, and other forms of mistreatment to other people. Actually, I should say all forms of mistreatment. The fact that God is just means that he can and will judge between right and wrong, and he alone will administer justice in accordance with his standards. You see, that's the Bible talks about his ways are far above our ways. And many times we don't understand why God is either allowing certain things to happen or doing certain things. But we have to remember, His judgment is just. His view of things are perfect. And so while we many times don't understand why certain things are allowed to happen, why He doesn't step in, or why He does allow things to happen, and, why, and where He does step in, we have to understand, again, His ways are greater than ours. Many times the Bible speaks of God Almighty and he's pictured as a judge. The Bible is clear that one day he will judge this world. But you see, many of us shy away from the thought of God being a judge because the examples of justice that we see here on earth are flawed. You look at uh, just earthly judges and sometimes judges can be corrupt even when their intentions are good, they can make mistakes. Some of us know uh, the relationship that judges and lawyers have, right? It's it, whoever is in close quarters with the judge, they have a little bit more means to persuade the judge to lean a certain way. Whether that's right or wrong, the fact of the matter is no one should be swayed only by the truth, not by a person. And so many times when we see a judge, we have a hard time recognizing God Almighty as a righteous and true judge because the examples we have here on earth are skewed and flawed. The fact that God is just, it should assure us that when he acts as a judge, he will administer justice perfectly. Again, his ways are not our ways. Sometimes we're like, well, how come you don't judge this person right away? Well, the question I would ask is, would you want God to judge you right away? Aren't you glad that he has given you grace and mercy in your life, has given you the time to respond to the call upon your life that he's wooing you to himself instead of saying, okay, you're a sinner. You're going to be a sinner the rest of your life. You're going to hell. No, 
God gives time. He is patient. He is long-suffering. And that's Him in His perfect uh, his, his perfection of being a righteous judge. He gives us time to repent of our sins so we can be right before Him. I heard an interesting message this morning, and I can't remember the exact verse, uh, but <clears throat> there are many times where the Lord will take someone's life to save their soul from eternal judgment. Now that is, that is very, that is almost scary to think about, but I'm talking about when we continue to live in rebellion, living a lifestyle of habitual sin, living a lifestyle in a way where we are not bringing honor and glory to, to the Lord. Sometimes he will take our lives, cut our life short so that, Ultimately, our souls won't be condemned forever in hell. And I'm sure that has happened to people before where they continue to live a lifestyle where they were just riding, straddling that line between serving the Lord and sin. And they kept going closer to sin and closer to sin and closer to sin. And so the Lord said, enough is enough. I'm going to take you home before you ultimately destroy yourself. You see, his ability to be just, this involves many other aspects and attributes of his character, including his ability to discern the truth in every situation and see into the hearts and minds of men and women. See, he has wisdom. He has strength. He has authority. He has moral character in himself to establish what is truly right and what is truly wrong. Now we have to ask ourselves this question. If there is an all-powerful, all-knowing supreme being who is inherently just and will act as our judge, what does it mean for humans? <laughs> what does it mean for humanity? What does it mean for people like you and me? Well, it means that our actions on earth and our attitudes towards God will ultimately be judged. This is a very serious concern since we all have fallen short of God's perfect standard and we must pay the penalty for those shortcomings. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, fortunately, it's not all doom and gloom. It depends on your perspective. It depends on how you respond to the call upon your life because we also know that God is a God of mercy. And in His mercy, He has provided a way for us to be brought back in right relationship with Him, to be reconciled to Himself and to meet His standards. Not by our own merit, but He's provided the substitute. And we all know who that substitute is, who paid that penalty, who paid willingly, he accepted that arrangement, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. It is through him, it is through his death, burial, and resurrection, the fact that we are made right from our wrongdoing, and we don't have to pay for our consequences. We don't have to pay the consequences, excuse me. Those are paid for us. It is finished, as the Bible says. We know that we have to accept his substitution in order to be right with God. Then the God who is both just and merciful will forgive us and forget our shortcomings. That's the beautiful thing of being forgiven eternally. You remember, you remember back when Jesus was washing everyone's feet and, you know, just like Peter, uh, Peter's like, no, 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 don't wash my, don't wash my feet, Lord. 
And the Lord said, if, if, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no matter in the situation. I have no matter in the situation. And then Peter said, well, just wash my whole body. But we have to understand those who are in the Lamb's book of life, you've already been cleansed. So you don't have to you don't have to be bathed like uh, Peter was asking. Well, then bathe me, Lord, just wash my whole body. The, the washing of the feet is a symbolism of daily repentance because we rub elbows with the world and, and, and we get the dirt of the world on our feet. And so daily we should come before the Lord to get cleansed, to ask for forgiveness. But that's not a pardon for eternity. That's, that's just to have the constant forgiveness going on in our lives so we can be clean vessels for the Lord's usage. And this is what we see here. This is why we need this right relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ so then we have access to this constant forgiveness that we need. But it is for our benefit and it is for the benefit of those around us that we be clean vessels for His usage. The Bible tells us that He will eventually accept us when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord and treat us as His children and His heirs. We actually get to take part in in the righteousness of God through the substitutionary, substitutionary death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. That is a beautiful thing. Once you and I have been reconciled to God, He sees you as one of His children. The fact that God is just means that He wants you to be just and act justly. And so once we have been reconciled, we now have that responsibility upon our lives to live above reproach, to live in a way where we are representing the Lord in the right manner, that we aren't being liars, that we aren't being cheats, that we aren't being connivers, that we are living holy, sanctified lives set apart for God's usage. The prophet Micah summed, summed it up best this way. He says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God? That's Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And, you know, again, we shouldn't, be, uh, we shouldn't be caught off guard by all these things that we see going on and we hear going on. Even right now, we're, we're you know, hearing people yelling and out wildly out in the, in, in the parking lot. These things are happening because there's this whole thing of good and evil, clean and dirty. And we want to be those that are used by the Lord to represent him so that we can see people come from being dirty and dead to being clean and alive in Jesus Christ. Amen. Repeatedly throughout the Bible, God warns his people to treat others fairly, particularly those who may be in less fortunate situations, such as widows, orphans, the poor, and aliens or strangers. Jesus' teachings go even further, telling us to love one another and to, good, to do good to those who mistreat us. Now, that's a difficult one, isn't it? <laughs> to treat those justly who have mistreated you. John chapter 13, verse 34 tells us, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The fact that God is just can also provide you with peace when you are dealing with difficulties in your life or witnessing painful injustices. Uh, again, just think about the things that you have been through recently or the things that you've been through in your life. How did you deal with those situations that were unfavorable? 
by the Lord working in your life and giving you the proper perspective of how to deal with the situation, how to deal with people. You see, you can be confident that God's justice will ultimately prevail. You don't have to take vengeance in your own hands. The Lord tells us vengeance is his, saith the Lord, not our own. So we don't have to act in that way, in that manner. We can know that he will right every wrong according to his timetable in his manner when he chooses to do so. The fact that the all-powerful and all-knowing God is also just means that evil will ultimately be dealt with authoritatively and decisively when that time comes. And when we, when we go back to our text this morning, we'll see exactly how this is going to play out in the matter of an instant. And the final main point this morning is this, and this is a sad main point, but it is what it is. Some people, no matter what, will simply not repent. We end our text this morning and the final statement is this, They did not repent and give him glory. After all the waters of the earth turned to blood, all living creatures in those waters died, and the sun became like fire scorching people, they still refused to submit. Well, you might ask, well, why? How can this be? After all this, they still wouldn't submit. But the reality is this. It all boils down to pride. The unwillingness to acknowledge that God is the creator and we must be judged by Jesus Christ for our deeds is the simple fact that we are prideful and we don't want to agree with this train of thought. We don't want to agree with this truth. You would think that after experiencing these horrible events that one would bow down in reverent fear and repent of their lifestyle and be like, Lord, you are God. The fact that I'm seeing all of these Oceans and seas and waters and rivers turn to blood-like substance, like, a cor- like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing within those waters dying. We were watching uh, the other day, we were watching, uh, it was like National Geographic, Biggest Great White or something. It was just one great white, female great white off the coast of Hawaii. And then this thing was, uh, I don't know, six, eight meters in length, and the thing looked pregnant, the thing looked huge. And it was feasting on this, this dead sperm well uh, body in the middle of the ocean. And I'm just, as I've been studying this past week, I'm thinking, man, as beautiful as the water is in Hawaii, one day it's all going to turn to like the blood of a corpse. It's not going to be, you know, see-through. It's not going to be nice looking. It's going to be decrepit. It's going to be nasty looking. And even after seeing all this, and you know, a lot of times we're like, oh, I got to put sunblock on. Don't want to get skin cancer. <laughs> Well, the sun is going to roast so hot that it's going to produce burns and boils upon people's skin. And even after these horrible things, there are going to be those on the earth that will still not repent. It is not a good thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible thing to, to, to consider that this is how it's going to be, that people will not repent of their lifestyles. But you see, these people are led astray by the beast. This is the definition of a hardened heart. The fact that they refuse to repent. Even when the truth hits them smack dab in the face, they still won't receive it. We don't want to be those who are living like that. We don't want to be those who are thinking that way. We want to be those who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and any inclination 
of there's something being wrong on our part. We want to run to the Father. We want to get right. Again, obedience is the key that unlocks fellowship with the Lord. I mean, that is after you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Not that there's a formula, because it's not a formula, but it is so true that obedience will keep the relationship between you and God the Father unhindered, meaning you're going to have right relationship. That's the same thing with if you're married. How do you make sure your prayers are unhindered? Well, husbands need to love their wives like Christ loves the church. Is it easy? Absolutely not. But we have to make sure that we are putting our wives' needs before our own. And when we don't, we need to reconcile with our wives. If we don't reconcile, and wives, if, we don't, if you don't submit to your husband and in grace lovingly follow his lead, then there's going to be friction in that relationship. But at any moment, that can be made right if we would just recalibrate our relationships. All these things fall under this and we need to make sure that we are in obedience so that our our prayers are are being answered and are being heard by the lord thinking about this whole idea of unwillingness to repent it it, it brings to mind uh because i've been you know obviously been home (laughs) for this past week and even before this week um my daughter has been really uh enjoying watching that movie sing too and uh, you know there's there it's it's a decent movie it's fine i think there's like one one part that we you know we got to fast forward about five or ten seconds that we're just like no we're not good with that but there's a song at the end where uh one of the one of the main characters clay calloway he's this famous uh singer and you know he became a recluse after his wife died and i i I do believe bono played the part or because they used uh one of the songs from u2 but when i think of this hardened heart I can't help when I was watching this movie and I heard the lyrics of this song, it just spoke to me. It was just a, it was a great picture of what a hardened heart looks like. If you're familiar with this song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm going to read a couple parts of this song and you're going to hear it clearly what the writer of this song is saying. He says, you broke the bonds, you loosened the chains, carried the cross of my shame oh my shame you know i believe it and then the chorus comes in right after that but i still haven't found what i'm looking for he says that three times the fact that he's saying he's speaking to jesus christ you broke the bonds you loosened the chains you carried the cross of my shame but you know and you know i believe it but i still haven't found what i'm looking for What do you mean you still haven't found what you're looking for? That is the answer to every problem you're ever going to have in life. Jesus Christ addresses every single issue you'll ever have. But the writer of this song says even after he's encountered Jesus Christ, going to the cross, dying for his sins and resurrecting, that's not good enough. He's still searching for something more. This is exactly what we see with those who rebel until the end. In our text this morning, even though the wrath of God has come upon them, they are still searching for another answer. But the truth is this. If Jesus Christ is not enough for you, nothing or no one else will ever be enough for you. We have to settle this in our hearts that the Lord is enough. 
that the, the lot in life that Jesus has for you is enough. You see, many times we keep searching and striving, thinking that something else is going to make us happy. Something else is going to give us joy. Something else is going to give us fulfillment. And we keep on searching and searching and looking and looking. But the Lord's like, here I am. I'm the one who can fulfill you. I'm the one that can give you true joy and true peace and true happiness. I'm the one that who can, can, can give you true contentment. And I'm the only one who can see you through the good days and the bad days. Don't be like that writer of that song and still be searching for something else. Amen. All right. Let's look at these verses now, starting with verse one. And it says, then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So we see here that. John the Apostle heard a loud voice from the temple. Well, go back to Revelation chapter 15, verse 8. Since no one could enter the temple, this loud voice from the temple must have been God himself who personally initiates the horrific judgments of the bulls. So God himself must have spoke in this instant. He says, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. These bowls of judgment are the third woe described in Revelation chapter 11, verse 14. I'll read that verse real quick. It says, the second woe had passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. You see, because they are described as the wrath of God, they are chastisements, meaning with the purpose of bringing repentance. If people would choose to repent, come to their senses, if you will. But they also are just as much as punishments with the, the purpose of dispensing justice because there are consequences for our actions. Again, uh, think back to, to King David and the stuff that he went through with Bathsheba. Yes, he was forgiven when he came to his senses, when the prophet Nathan came to him and said, you're the, you're the one, you're the man. And David finally recognized and he said, I repent of my ways and but, but, but the prophet had told him, the sword is never going to leave your home. And there's going to be discord and dysfunction in your offspring because of what you have done. You see, there are always consequences for our actions. But the Lord's desire is that a man's soul still be saved, ultimately from damnation, ultimately from hell. Now, when we get right, there will be consequences for the choices we've made. But the Lord will change us and make us new creations. And we know moving forward, we can get through even those difficult consequences that we must face because the Lord will be with us to walk us through it. You see, we usually think of these, uh, these, uh, <clears throat> these punishments as occurring at the end of the seven-year period immediately before Jesus' return. But we have to think about this and imagine... Uh, the images of Israel's exodus and how they're so prominent with these bold judgments. There's such a connection. In the days of Moses, remember, God sent plagues upon Egypt that included plagues of boils. Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. I'll go ahead and read it. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the killing and, uh, killing, and let Moses throw them in the air, in the sight of Pharaoh, it shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took the soot 
from the Kilian and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. It's so crazy because you see the whole snapshot of what's going on here in Revelation just right here in Exodus. <laughs> Uh, 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 the, the, the plagues of the boils falling upon the people and the beasts, the animals of the land, and the fact that Pharaoh hardened his heart and said, no, I will not repent. No, I will not see how what the Lord is trying to show me. Also, we know about the waters turning to blood. Exodus chapter 7, verses 17 and 19. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish of the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Man, that is just a horrible thing to envision. <laughs> that, you know, we got one of those Brita water dispenser things, you know, it's like, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to see that thing full of blood. You know, I'm going into the refrigerator to get something refreshing to drink, and it's just going to be blood. It's not going to be drinkable, but this is what happened in Egypt, and this is what we're going to see happen upon the face of the earth at some point in the future because of the rebelliousness of men. Also, we see darkness. These, this is another plague that uh, hit Egypt. Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 down through 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, and there will be darkness over the land of Egypt, and darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. It's pretty cool how it did say that everyone who was God's chosen people had light, even though there was complete darkness. We see, again, the provisions of God for his people, those ones he's chosen, those who have remained obedient and have placed their hope and their faith in him alone. Now, we can ask the question, are the plagues described in this chapter symbolic? Perhaps we can't envision all that these words mean. However, God's judgment of this world will not be a symbolic act of judgment. We can remember that the reality behind any symbol is always more real, and in this case, more terrifying than the symbol itself. On earth, this last phrase, on earth in this first verse. The point is clear that these judgments are not happening in a vacuum somewhere. Excuse me. These judgments are happening upon this very planet we live on. And again, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see the state of the world. Every time I turn on the news or I look at a news feed, Apple News or whatever, all they're reporting, and, and I get it, you know, that it's, it's purpose that they report it this way, but all you're seeing is negativity. Now, we were watching a, a, a movie called Break the Chains the other night, and it was based on a true story. It was an account of a man who had, uh, you know, he had lost his father at a young age, 
And he was very embittered by the fact that his father was taken from him. And he had a very skewed perception of God. And he, uh, in his anger, in his frustration, he <clears throat> pursued a career as being a law enforcement agent, a police officer. And he excelled in his class. And he did an excellent job. He did great. Uh, you know, graduated top of his class, uh, you know, won many uh, awards <clears throat> for, his, uh, for his service to his community. But as he soon found out, the work of a police officer is a very gruesome job. The things that he would see on a daily and nightly basis would try his very existence and his sanity. And his training officer had told him when he had first started here, uh, this is the only way I get through this, 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 this career, this lifestyle. He gave him an invitation to go to church. And, and his training officer told him, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, this young man basically crumpled up the paper, threw it away. And you see in the movie, the first place he goes after a long day at work as a, as a rookie police officer, he goes to the bar. And there's other police officers that are part of the force there. And they say, this is how I cope. And they drink. And he says, you get to the point, you just get used to it. He said, you get to the, one of the officers said, you get to the point where you just grow numb. You're not even going to feel nothing. So fast forward several years. This is what this man's life was like. Seeing horrific heinous things he's seen he's seen satan's work on a daily basis but he doesn't have the god of all creation the holy spirit living within him to cope with it all he's doing is drinking and uh you know to make a long story short he almost drunk himself to death he almost committed suicide he ended up committing adultery against his wife almost lost his wife and his daughter thankfully his wife at some point got saved and she was praying for him the whole time now there was restoration that had to occur once he finally uh, admitted that he had committed adultery and, you know, all that stuff had to be patched up and it took a, a long time. But in the end, this man gave his life to Christ. But it was just amazing to see these are the two roads that we can choose to take. We can go our own way and deal with life and deal with the hardships of life the way we can deal with them. How's that going for you? Or we can choose God's way and go his route and accept Jesus Christ to take upon uh, the, the troubles that we have on our shoulders and we bear his yoke and then it becomes a lot easier to bear because we have the power of God living and working within us. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next verse. It says, So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Okay, so these foul painful sores came upon those who worshiped and had the mark of the beast these are who will receive these these sores would certainly produce marks all over their bodies just as they had bore the mark of the beast now they're bearing the judgment of god upon their lives they have blasphemed god and practiced idolatry and now they would pay the price now this is not some kind of minor rash going on here, right? This is some kind of ulcer or some kind of abscess that is riddled all throughout the skin. Uh, centuries earlier, the Philistines attempted to corrupt the Israelites' faith and face stern judgment at God's heavy hand for doing this to the Israelites. He struck them with tumors. First Samuel chapter 5, verse 6 tells us, The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashad, and he terrified 
and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashad and its territory. So again, we see this, not something that's just not happened before, but this is, this is again happening again. This is a cycle because of unconfessed sin, because of unrepented sin. The Lord's judgment is coming upon people of the earth. Also, when God struck Egypt again with plagues, he caused boils to break out on the Egyptians' bodies. We just talked about that a minute ago. Undoubtedly, all business and social life at this time will come to some form of a grinding halt because of the severe pain humans experience from the sores. I mean, just think about our lives right now. And I mean, we're almost three years into this pandemic. Think of how life came to a screeching halt when all this stuff Hit, hit, hit the fan and, and it's like, oh, we got we to gotta stop everything. <laughs> we got to lock everything down. You can't go to schools. You can't go shopping. You can't do this. You can't do that. You got to take a test for everything. You got to wear a mask here. You gotta, this is with the coronavirus. Okay? Could, you, can you, could you only imagine when the sun is going to burn so hot that it is going to cause people to be severely burned and struck with these form of boils? It's going to cause... Life as we know it to come to a screeching halt. Because this bold judgment targets the kingdom of the beast, we can conclude that this bold judgment occurs in the second half of the tribulation. These same sores are mentioned during future plagues. That's in Revelation chapter 16, verse 11. So these bold judgments are not entirely separate from each other. At the very least, the effects of this judgment will not have ended before the next one begins. So this means this is an ongoing thing. It's just not going to happen in one season and that, that, that's it. It's going to be continuous. And that is very uh, disheartening and painful for those who refuse to repent. But again, we have to remember, these are brought on because of people's unforgiveness, the fact that they don't want to repent, the fact that they want to defile themselves and, 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 and hold a clutch fist to the Lord God Almighty. All right, verse 3, it says, The second angel poured out his bowl onto the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The sea became blood. Okay, we talked about this also just a moment ago. Remember, when God struck ancient Egypt with plagues, he turned the Nile into blood. But this was only a partial judgment compared to what we see in our text right now. Similarly, in Revelation chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, which describes a partial contamination of the sea. Remember, it says in, in those two verses, 8 and 9 of Revelation 8, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. And that was a partial judgment, again, because God is so merciful and gracious. He's like, man, I want you to repent. I want you to turn from your wicked ways. So he didn't destroy everything in the sea at that point, only a third. But here, the contamination is made complete. Every living creature in the sea died. All those, those cute, you know, uh, you know uh, walruses and, and, and sea otters and sea lions, all those things. The crabs, the jellyfish. You know, the little Nemos, they're all going to be dead. They're all going to be dead. They're going to be gone. Blood as of a dead man or a corpse. So the sea doesn't necessarily become blood, but as of a corpse's blood. It will match the appearance and sickening character of the blood of a dead body. And it's probably going to smell really bad. Not 
good at all. No doubt, again, this judgment cripples the beast's shipping and fishing industries. The effect of this judgment would be even further reached than simple commerce because a massive change in the ocean waters could have a drastic effect on weather and rain. Mm-hmm, exactly. The fact that, right, a, a large percentage, what, 70? About 75. 75%, exactly. So, also, everything living in the ocean will die. This will remove a primary food source for the entire world. Even more dire, as Daniel, you just pointed out, ocean plants producing most of the oxygen in the atmosphere is going to be drained and it's going to be riddled. The death of everything in the oceans will start a countdown to the extinction of all life on earth. Trust me, it's going to get better. <laughs> Verse 4, the, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. The rivers and now the fresh spring waters have become blood. Again, this complete contamination is in contrast to the partial pollution of fresh waters shown in Revelation chapter 8 verses 10 and 11. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of the water. The name of the star is Wormwood and a third of the water became Wormwood and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. I mean, we see this cycle. We see this trend going on. See, the Lord is like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to give a partial judgment, but now because of people refusing to repent, the judgments become more severe. When these judgments come, again, the time must be very short until the return of Jesus. Now, this, with this ecological disaster as this, we know that the human race cannot survive long. When these waters turn to blood-like substance from a dead corpse, from the oceans to the fresh rivers and the fresh waters, it's only a matter of time before it's all done. Okay, verses 5 down through 7 in Revelation chapter 16. And it says, And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So it's, complete, it's completely fitting for those who delighted. Now they took delight in this. They took delight in shedding the blood of the saints. But now they are being forced to drink blood. They refuse the living water who is Jesus Christ. But now they are given death to drink. But you see the angel says again that who is righteous? The Lord is righteous. Even in the midst of judgment, it is right for the angel to say this. Not only is God's justice fair, it is also pure and appropriate. Because there is no vigilant justice with God. It is a righteous judgment that for a, 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 a race of people, for humankind who refuses to repent, this is what we will deserve. He goes on to say, I heard another from the altar saying, this voice, again, is either an angel speaking from the altar or the altar personified representing the corporate test testimony of the martyrs. Revelation chapter 6 verse 9 tells us, when he opened the fifth seal, 
I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they have bore. And the prayers of the saints, Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 through 5 tells us, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumbling, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. The speaking of the altar may be God's altar, the cross, where his greatest sacrifice was made, and which he testifies of his righteous judgment, both in the past and soon to come. This is the altar where God and his love offered a way of escape for these judgments. Again, we see that there is hope in here, but it's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And those who choose to repent will receive this pardon from all of this wrath that we're seeing in this portion of scripture. All right, here are our last two verses. Eight and nine. It says, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and their and they cursed the name of God who had power over the plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The power of the sun had the ability to scorch men with fire. What is normally taken for granted as a blessing, the warmth of the shining sun, is now a curse, right? We, we, we enjoy going to uh, Santa Cruz or going to the beach and enjoying a nice, fun day when the sun's out and it feels good, right? It's, uh, you know, I like when it's not too hot, not too cold. But here, we're seeing that it is intense. The, the sun is beating so hot that it is like fire scorching mankind, The application is this. The more we take for granted the gracious blessings of the Lord, the more we are prone to remain with a darkened heart. If we continue to ignore the piercing of our consciences and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we will eventually be handed over to our depraved desires. As we see here in our context, as the wicked deserted God God in turn deserted them, no longer giving them divine direction or restraint, but allowing them to corrupt themselves as they wished. You just think of Pharaoh. Think of Pharaoh's heart. The Bible said over and over again, Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. Moses hardened his heart. We know that Moses didn't harden his heart. We know that God didn't harden his heart. But what God did was God allowed Pharaoh to live out what he already had in his heart because Pharaoh was un, uh, he was not wanting to be changed. And this is what happens to people every day in our lives. This is what we see. Because they would not honor him, he would let them do what they pleased to dishonor themselves, being given over and yielding up to one's sinful desires is a judgment from God. The sad fact is that sometimes God gives us what we want. God allowed the Israelites who rebelled to reap the natural consequences of their choices. Psalm chapter 81 verse 11 and 12 tells us, But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow 
their own counsels. In Romans chapter 1, Paul shows how the wicked made a choice to reject God, and that choice set them on a downward spiral of increasing darkness and disgraced hope. As the godless run farther and farther from God, God intervenes less and less. The Spirit's restraint of sin is a blessing, and if that restraint is removed, all wickedness follows. They did not repent and give Him glory. The failure of men to respond with repentance shows that knowledge or experience of judgment will not change man's, uh, change man's sinful condition. Those who are not won by grace will never be won. You see, that's how it's so important that we recognize what's been done for us and we recognize our wayward path so we can repent and be on the mend spiritually. May we be those who never neglect our relationship with Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for just <clears throat> the warnings that are issued here in your text. Lord, it's something that we should never scoff at, scoff at. We should never act as if we have it all together, but we should take these warnings as a reminder that we are to live in a way that we are uh, keeping close relationships with you, close, uh, you know, contact with you lord that we wouldn't be those that would just think that we have it all figured out that we have it all together but we would keep short accounts that we would make sure that each and every day throughout the day that we are walking blameless in your sight and that we are unhindered by sin in our lives or may we be those who would just look quickly to you and ask you to to cleanse our hearts creating us clean hearts renewing us a right spirit may that be the echo and and the message of our lives, Lord, that when we walk before you, we're walking circumspectly and that we're able to be uh, just in a right relationship with you. I pray that today for every person, Lord, as your word has gone out, may it do the work that only you could do, Father. So we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.